Congratulations on your taste in broadcasting. Yes, this is uh, Money Matters, Business Matters with me, your host, Adamine Templeton, in the Drive Time Show. Right, we've got our slots sorted out. Hope your day's turning out okay. Mm, uh, well, how about that? We've got a loan from the IMF. Hmm. How did we ever get here? How did we ever get here? Mm, when ANC took over um, in 94, only... Less than 5% of our, of our national debt was owed internationally. That was thanks to uh, prescribed assets during apartheid, where the apartheid government forced um, the investment community or the insurance community and the pension community to invest in uh, state-owned enterprises and state projects. And, of course, white capital did so quite willingly and, and loyally throughout apartheid. Uh, but now they say that uh, it would be completely unconscionable to, to enforce the same thing onto the community again under the ANC. Mainly, I suppose, and I think it is a, a really valid concern, because if you hand the money over to the ANC, it's going to get stolen. It's that simple. Um, Herman Mashaba, I think, has hit the nail on the head. Um, uh, with his uh, scathing criticisms of uh, Sul Ramaphosa um, last night. And, uh, well, maybe we'll, we, we'll get into that a little bit later on in the show. Handing over our sovereignty to the IMF. Why did we ever have to get here? Well, because the ANC stole hundreds of billions of rands. Hundreds of billions of rands and raped the country. Uh, it's a cannibalistic party, you know. ANC. It's a cannibalistic party. It eats itself. It eats its own comrades. If ANC leaders are not assassinating each other, they're trying to um, undo the projects of the previous administration in order to get their money onto the boodle. I mean, we only need to think of our various um, manifestations of our nuclear deals that we've had over the last while. You had the Mbeki um, nuclear deal. Of course, when Zuma came into power, he said, Mbeki's not going to get any of this money. Tsh, cancelled it straight away. Suddenly, Arriva, the French uh, parastatal that uh, just a few years previously had been caught planting landmines in the Niger and had been forced to pay that government $167 million in um, damages. 
Yeah, the dirty French were going to come and build our nuclear power stations. That's after one of the dirty French uh, engineers chucked a, a bolt down into one of the turbines a few years previously, forcing South Africa to go and buy an entire new uh, turbine uh, from Arriva. And that's according to our own government ministers. Remember Alec Irvine, Irvine and the loose bolts. Yeah. Well, anyway, so uh, Mbeki, uh, he, he quite miraculously, uh, over one weekend, uh, it, was in, uh, it was the first time that we had the blackouts, the, the, the outages by ESCOM, 2008. The end of 2008, um, no, 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 it was 2007, because Tabo wasn't president by December 2008. 2007, Tabo went on holiday. Suddenly, um, ESCOM announced that they'd uh, run into problems. They had a major crisis. It was, that was the first uh, blackouts. We're having a major crisis, said ESCOM. We're going to have to spend a whole lot of money to fix all of our aging power plants. Oh, everything. Well, there's a terrible conditions. And uh, in just, uh, just one December holiday, 2007, uh, Tabo Mbeki showed himself to be a master of business negotiations because he put together an entire nuclear deal while on holiday. By early February, he was walking uh, down the Cape Town Esplanade hand in hand with that uh, fascist, racist, uh, Nazi um, killer of Muslims, Nicolas Sarkozy. Remember that guy? Yeah, he had. Um, anyway, so yeah. Jacob Zuma came into presidency. What did he do? Chucked all of that out. And all of the Zumaites, as they moved into uh, the local municipalities two years later after the local municipality elections, all the Zumaites moved in and chucked out all of the projects that had been put together by the Himbekiites and then started putting their own projects together. As a result of that, the entire momentum that had been built up during the Mandela years was completely lost. It was like uh, putting a spanner into the works. Jacob Zuma, on his own, constituted a bolt that completely seized up the turbines of the ANC's policy direction, and the country has been a mess ever since. Well, you know, you can't blame Jacob Zuma in some ways. I mean, he's only got a standard for. Um, he knows how to herd cattle. And uh, he knows how to organize men. Rural men, he does. He organized the peace deal with IFP. So right on the brink of uh, the 94 elections. That was a major achievement. I mean, he is he is a leader of men. It doesn't mean he's presidential material or even ministerial material. Uh, perhaps he should have remained as an organizer within the ANC. But anyway, he became a deputy president. And then when uh, Tabo Mbeki uh, started sewing up uh, all of the, the, the signature contracts out of the, the arms deal, Jacob Zuma started going off on his own uh, money-raising trips and calling in people and saying, I mean, we're not going to sign up on contracts unless you give me money. Basically, as, as crude as that. But then again, you know, Jacob Zuma didn't see much difference between his money-raising efforts and Tabo Mbeki's money-raising efforts. He felt as though he'd been ex- excluded from the inner sanctum. Uh, so Mbeki tried to get rid of him. Cannibalism. Hmm? Comrades against comrades. 
Uh, yeah, that, that 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 was really the major, the beginning of the end of the old ANC as we knew it, and uh, the the transformation of the ANC into a fully fledged corporation, just like Anglo American or Casatu or Discovery Health or Benitez Medical Aid or any pension fund administrator you'd care to name. No difference between them. The ANC is as much a corporation as uh, Anglo American. So, well, you know, comrades have started falling out. Jacob Zuma won the, uh, the Polokwani battle. The country's been in ruins ever since because his cronies went about grabbing, grabbing hold of the beautiful um, pool of money that was being built up as a result of the efforts of um, Trevor Manuel and Tito Mboweni. Tito Mboweni raising interest rates through the roof in order to attract the carry trade into South Africa. Uh, well, you know, basically you Announcing yourself as the rent boy of the of the world capital markets. Yeah, sure, man. We'll raise interest rates sky high. We'll put the we'll take money out of the workers' pockets that we're supposed to be uh, filling with money. We're going to destroy jobs because we're going to make it harder to do business. And they and she's supposed to be building jobs, but no. Huh? You've got a bunch of holes at the top of the ANC who are just interested in getting the money. They don't give a damn about the workers. I mean, they can, you know, talk the talk, but definitely not walking the walk. Yeah, so the, uh, D- Jacob Zuma went about getting his bit. He did. He got his greens, that's for sure. Whether it's fire pools or uh, anything else you care to mention. Yeah, Jacob Zuma went about getting his greens. He, he he came up with the um, policy that uh, if you don't have the education in order to be able to understand the system and all of its rules and complex um, methods of doing business, well then, if you can't beat the system, it's time to eat the system. So they, 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 that's all Jacob Zuma did. Time to chow. It's time to eat. Comrades have been waiting too long now. It's time to eat. So they started eating and eating and eating and eating. But, you know, the greed of, 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 of prostitutes is, you know, probably one of the more crass and, and base ones that you're going to find in any society in the world. And so it is, you know, Jacob Zuma surrounded himself with some of the worst specimens of humanity. And they now cabinet ministers. And uh, they now cabinet ministers with the money. So it's very difficult to get rid of them. Yeah, so, um, you know, Sir Ramaphosa came in, trying to be Mr. Nice Guy, promising to get rid of corruption, and he's done absolutely nothing about it. So, well, you know, they are comrades, you've got to remember. I've said many times before, why doesn't Sir Ramaphosa brag about the money he's stolen like his comrades do? Show off a bit of bling, come on, you know, show that you've got, you've got some kind of gumption. Always like kind of like promising and kicking things down the road and smiling. Well, Herman Mashaba's had enough of it. He came out yesterday and he really laid into laid into um, uh, President Mbeki. And uh, I, I, I think maybe we'll go right straight into his open letter to Sulu Ramaphosa. Uh, because it's, it's definitely worth reading. Now, if I can only just find it. Now it goes and disappears. Here you go. Right. This is what Herman Mashaba... This is him talking directly to President Cyril Ramaphosa. Well, I call him a president because officially he is the president. But he's only pretending to be a president. 
Much like the rest of the government is only pretending to be a government. This is what Herman Mashaba has to say about uh, President Silva Moposa yesterday in his letter to the nation. I'm saying that he was concerned. I'm so really concerned about corruption. Well, that word concerned caught a lot of people's attention, caught my attention yesterday. Let's hear what Herman Mashaba has to say about it, the former mayor of Johannesburg. Herman Mashaba says, Dear Mr. President, you were elected on the promise of renewal. A new dawn, I believe you called it. I find myself writing to you once again out of sheer frustration over your catastrophic failure to tackle fraud, corruption and wrongdoing in government. I watched your address on Thursday night. You described your feelings on the level of looting on the level of looting of COVID-19 relief funds and measures as concerning. This is not concerning, Mr. President. Concerning is how we feel about getting older every day. It is how cold it is in the mornings or the lack of sleep we get at night. These issues are concerning. The looting of public funds intended to provide relief to poor people in the COVID-19 crisis is despicable. It is an act of the lowest forms of life and it is criminal. Listen, I know a thing or two about tackling corruption, says Herman Mashaba. In my three years as mayor of Johannesburg, I established a world-class anti-corruption unit with many of the people who were sidelined with the Scorpions and the National Prosecuting Authority and Hawks doing their job a little too efficiently. This unit relentlessly pursued corruption, investigated over 6,000 cases worth 35 billion rands and affected over 800 arrests. I exposed cases against ministers who are still sitting in your cabinet. I can't even tell you how many officials were fired for corruption. It was simply too frequent an occurrence to document. One of the reasons this unit was effective was because they knew unequivocally that they would never be be blocked politically. They acted without fear or favor. Language matters, Mr. President. I know this because the corruption unit I established drew the clarity of their mandate from my leadership. I declared corruption public enemy number one. I described the people who looted as snakes, and I spoke frequently of the need to hunt them down. When you say corruption is concerning, it is a clue it is a cue to your law enforcement agencies, the country, and the looters that you don't take the issue too seriously now. It would be easy to say that perhaps it was just the wrong word written into a speech on a Thursday night. But that would be an acceptable explanation if it came from anyone else. But it comes from you. It comes from you, a president who presides over an organization that could be said to more closely resemble one of the greatest criminal syndicates in the world than a political party. I know you said you have signed proclamations for the Special Investigative Unit to begin investigating these cases. But, Mr. President, who are we kidding? The investigators in the SIU, like the rest of the country, are well aware of the complete absence of a single high-profile prosecution of anyone in your tenure as president. They are aware, as are all South Africans, that while you are concerned about corruption... The husband of your spokesperson scored 125 million rand tending Gauteng as part of the COVID-19 response. Should the, IC, should the SIU look into this? I mean, she's sitting right on your shoulder. It is statistically more likely for a young person to become a drug addict than it is for a corrupt official in your government to face any form of consequence. 
Between the Hawks, the police, the Special Investigating Unit, the National Prosecuting Authority, a case has not even been brought to our courts as a symbolic warning that those who continue to loot should even slow down. This is why I take offence to your words on Thursday night, because they form part of an ongoing pattern of complete indifference to the level of fraud and corruption in South Africa. I won't even go back to remind you of the spectacular cases of fraud and corruption that have been allowed to mushroom in our country. I won't spend much time pointing out that global corruption indices regard your government to be more corrupt than President Zuma's. I won't even remind you that you, yourself, have quantified the loss of public money to corruption in the amount of one trillion rands. I guess he was bragging. Hmm? Sir Ramaphosa was actually bragging when he said we've stolen one trillion rands. What I will focus your attention on is our newfound dependency on international institutions for funding. Yes, you've turned into a beggar and a prostitute. Pretending to be a president, but he's really a beggar and a prostitute, without knees and without a spine. A jellyfish. We have a jellyfish in the presidency. Uh, yeah, for funding, since your government has managed our country into the ground. Well, it's just stolen the money and chowed it. South Africa now has to go cap in hand to these institutions and borrow money to fund our spectacular budget deficit. And how can anyone respect a president on his knees? Are you under the impression that these institutions are not aware of the level of corruption you preside over? That's probably precisely the reason why they're offering you this loan. Do you think your message on Thursday night offered any assurance to international lenders who now see the South African government as the skunk of the world? Mm, that's really given a bad name to skunks, prostitutes, whores, whores, whores. Yes, our president is a whore. In your address, you correctly conveyed an understanding that corruption now, more than ever, poses a threat to life in South Africa as COVID-19 relief measures are pillaged. While I would like to find comfort in this, the truth is that it makes it worse. Money is being looted. Before the measures you packaged as a stimulus package were even accessible by the people it was intended for, UIF applications, food parcels and other measures are being stolen while your government cannot even get these measures of relief out to South Africans. You know that lives are at stake, our economy and our access to finances, and yet the best you could muster is concerning. Ah, President Sir Ramaphosa is concerned. Perhaps it is time for some hard truths, Mr. President, so here it comes. You raised hopes for change in South Africa, and you have crushed this hope with it, your choice of party before country. This is the nub of the issue, because any serious approach against looting would require country to come before party, and you do not possess the spine to make such a decision. Warmest regards, Herman Mashaba, founder and chairperson of the People's Dialogue. And with that, well, we've come to the top of the hour. That means a quick commercial break. Ten minutes past four it is on a lovely, peaceful Tuesday afternoon here in South Africa. Well, uh, South African Airways rescue package has finally lifted off. It's got off the ground and it's coming to operation today. That's after an outstanding condition relating to the guarantees of lenders was fulfilled on Monday.
In an update today, South African Airways Business Rescue Practitioners Siviwe uh, Dongwana and Les Matison informed affected persons that the outstanding letter from government confirming that, lender, confirming that lenders were allowed to guarantee debt of $16.4 billion would receive their payments has been finalised. This means that all the conditions that had to be concluded prior to the airline's restructuring process are now complete. Initially, the rescue plan set a deadline for July 22 for all conditions precedent. However, discussions between government and the lenders uh, were still ongoing when that deadline arrived. Treasury had already set aside 16.4 billion rand for guaranteed debt and interest to repay loans uh, to SAA by a group of banks and the Development Bank of South Africa before and after business rescue commenced. In a creditors' meeting last week, where 95% of creditors voted in favour of extending the debt, Deadline. The business rescue practitioners stressed that neither government nor lenders could be faulted for the delay as the process was not familiar to either party. When SAA went in under business rescue in December, it became the first state-owned entity to do so. The business rescue practitioners said the legal framework that they were trying to put together was a novel one and required a little bit of adjustment in the way of thinking and doing things. They say they're currently attending to and finalizing the remaining outstanding administrative issues before filing a notice of substantial implementation in terms of the company's act. South African Airways directors will also regain control of the operations of the business. Uh, the airline's chief commercial officer, Philip Saunders, was appointed as the interim chief executive for the airline. He'll be responsible for heading up its uh, 10.3 billion rand restructure. The rescue process will involve issuing 2.2 billion rand severance packages to just over 2,700 employees running the domestic operations of SAA until January 2021, and thereafter gradually expanding the service and workforce for international and regional services under Level 1 of lockdown. Government has committed to mobilizing the money needed for the rescue from a variety of sources, including strategic partners and institutional investors such as pension funds. Really going to be very interesting to see what's, what the pension fund industry in South Africa is going to be looking like, because the government has made no bones about the fact that it's not just uh, public workers' um, pension fund money from the PIC that they're looking to get hold of. They also want private pension fund money uh, to come to the party. I guess that's only one way to describe it. I mean, Sir Ramaphosa was in charge of turning around SAA, the presidential task team. Sounded so great in those days, eh? Oh, don't worry, Sir Ramaphosa is going to come and take over. And the airline just continues crashing, crashing, crashing. It's amazing, you know, a a, a crash into the ground is like an event. But but, uh, Sir Ramaphosa turned it into like a, a saga, you know. The crash, like, uh, continued for about four years. And then they made him the president. Well, I guess we can only blame ourselves. They say that you get the government you deserve. So, I don't know what you've been up to. And I don't know what I've been up to that's been so bad. Well, anyway, SAA is now hopefully going to, well, who knows what's going to happen. Because, you know... How are they going to fly passengers when no one's flying uh, in the, the global lockdown? Well, now, um, uh, we, we finished off yesterday's show uh, speaking about Elon Musk. Uh, Elon Musk, it turns out, is getting into bed with uh, Dan Gertler. He's prepared to do anything, it turns out.
in order to uh, remain. He's, he's very, very, very much becoming part of the billionaire class, the 0.0001%. Hmm? A little schoolboy from Pretoria is now organizing coups in Bolivia. It turns out that Elon Musk isn't just willing uh, to get into bed with uh, Dan Gertler. Is this little uh, Zion Nazi who's um, made a lot of money out of the DRC's carnage, which at least 10 million people have died in that carnage since it started off back in the 1990s. We've had the United Nations Special Commission holding inquiries into it and identifying a whole lot of private companies that were uh, funding militias in the country. And uh, when they were called to book, the companies simply turned around and threatened to sue the United Nations if they didn't remove their names from their list of miscreant companies. The companies claimed that they were caught in a war zone and they're just trying to protect their interests. Can you just imagine that? That was good enough. The United Nations, which just the year before, had been in Rwanda. No, it wasn't the year before. It was about three years previously had been in Rwanda. Uh, where um, the French peacekeepers, the Belgian peacekeepers, back on old, old home turf, used to be a Belgian Congo. Uh, yeah, uh, Rwanda. Yeah, where the French, where the French soldiers refused to shoot on uh, machete-wielding killers, massacring people right in front of them. No, 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 we're not allowed to intervene. They were told. And then, uh, you know, right there in front of the where, where the French peacekeepers have their base, hundreds of people were massacred in front of their eyes, and they did absolutely nothing. Because uh, so it's against our mandate. It is against our mandate. No, we cannot intervene. It's terrible, but that is that is the way it is. So the French soldiers stood around and uh, watched the militias massacre people right in front of them. You know, fully armed, fully armed behind razor wire and so on. And uh, they let them massacre men, women, children. And then the next day when the dogs came along and started eating the bodies, the French soldiers started feeling a little bit sick. So that was when their commander gave them permission to shoot the dogs. So they're allowed to shoot the dogs to prevent the dogs from eating the bodies. But they're not allowed to prevent the killers from turning living people into corpses. But then they want to protect the corpses from being eaten by the dogs. Life isn't very precious to the United Nations. I think you could come to that kind of conclusion just after Rwanda alone. But then you move on to the DRC and uh, the miscreant companies turning around and threatening to sue the United Nations. And that was the end of the United Nations inquiry into a genocide that actually makes uh, the Holocaust of the World War II, where Hitler killed six million Jews, uh, make the Holocaust look like a, a party. Ten million people have died in that carnage, and still it continues. Um, they've got a very strong White House hand, always had has a strong White House hand in the Congo. Mobutu Sese Seko, the worst dictator Africa has ever seen, was kept in power for all these years. He's 27 years, same time, same amount of time as Nelson Mandela was in jail. Mobutu Sese Seko was allowed free reign to kill and murder anyone he liked, to steal whatever he liked, to be the man, the big man in Africa. The CIA's big man in Africa. Hmm? It was the FBI and the CIA that uh, ensured that... Uh, 
uh, Lawrence, no, what, what was his name? Uh, the Democratic leader who was democratically elected. Uh, um, Patrice Lumumba. Yeah, my FBI and CIA assassinated Patrice Lumumba and installed uh, Mobutu Sese Seko. So these are the people, you know, as Muslims, we, we, we can't really afford to kind of pretend that they're decent. But it's amazing how many Muslims are willing to pretend that they are decent if they can make a good bit of money out of it. So there we go. That's uh, that, that, that's the DRC. It's a, it is a quagmire and it's a mess. And uh, as long as the United States is, uh, or France, Belgium, Britain, are allowed a free meddling hand in Africa, that's the way it's going to remain. Well, enter Elon Musk, Pretoria schoolboy made good in America. He's launching uh, rockets uh, into outer space. He's sending rockets to Mars. He wants to colonize Mars, and he's dead set on achieving that goal. He's uh, the head of Tesla, um, uh, the foremost uh, computer-controlled electric car company in the world. Being electric-powered, that means he needs batteries. And if he needs batteries, that means that he needs lithium, and he needs cobalts. And cobalts. Unfortunately for old Elon is in the DRC. Well, into Dan Gertler. Elon Musk, being brought up uh, during apartheid in Pretoria, I guess, you know, he's got uh, a dulled morality, I suppose is a good way to describe it. So Elon Musk immediately jumped into bed with Dirty Dan. And they're both helping each other get a little richer. Tesla, the company which he runs, struck a deal last month with Glencore to buy as much as 6,000 tons of cobalt annually for use in rechargeable batteries that power its electric vehicles. Glencore, in turn, is obligated to pay Gertler about 2.5% of sales from its mines in the DRC. Royalty rights Gertler occurred from state-owned miner Gecker Mines. What makes the arrangement eye-catching is that Gertler has been blacklisted from the U.S. financial system since December 2017. Now he stands to indirectly benefit from an American company's payments, if only by a few million dollars a year, since most of the cobalt Tesla is buying will come from Glencore's Congolese mines, according to sources. Tesla said it aims to eliminate cobalt from its batteries to reduce costs. That would also remove reputational hazards associated with sourcing minerals from Congo, including human rights challenges posed by artisanal mining, which provides income for millions, but where fatalities and child labor are common. Slave labor is common too. While Glencore assures buyers that no hand-dug cobalt has been treated at its mechanized mines, the contract signals that the metal remains key to Tesla's expansion over the next few years, even at the price of exposing itself to another risk in the Central African nation, corruption. Buying cobalt from Glencore's Congo projects doesn't only raise ethical issues, it even creates legal risks for U.S. companies like Tesla, since part of the money paid subsequently goes to a sanctioned entity. That's according to Elizabeth Kaysons, director of Brussels-based transparency group Resource Matters, who has studied the Congolese mining industry for more than a decade. Has it consulted the U.S. Treasury ahead of signing the deal about any precautions it should take under U.S. law about these payments to Gertler? Tesla didn't respond to questions, and Glencore and Gertler both declined to comment.
Spokesperson for the Treasury Department wouldn't discuss the Tesla contract beyond saying it strongly encourages U.S. companies to develop a risk-based approach to sanctions compliance. U.S. companies are barred from doing business with sanctioned entities such as Ventura Development Sasu, the Gertler company that receives royalties from Glencore Mines in Congo. But Tesla's contract is with Glencore, which is based in Switzerland. Sanctions experts offer differing opinions as to the legal risk for a company in Tesla's situation, with some saying the arrangement probably doesn't run afoul of the rules and the prospect of a U.S. enforcement action seems remote. I would say it's extremely remote. Others said they thought Treasury might take a harder line. In sanctioning Gertler, the U.S. said he had used his friendship with former President Joseph Kabila to act as a middleman for multinational companies to acquire mining operations in Congo and had profited from opaque and corrupt deals, allegations Gertler has denied. Earlier this month, Bloomberg News reported on financial transactions among a network of companies and individuals that emerged in Congo largely after the sanctions were imposed, and that raised questions about whether they somehow enabled Gertler to continue doing business there. Kirtler's lawyer said he didn't have any business dealings with or even know most of the individuals and denied he was engaged in sanctions evasion. Almost three quarters of the world's cobalt comes from Congo, where Glencore owns two of the largest mines and demand is forecast to surge in coming years, driven by electric vehicle sales. Direct deals between miners and auto manufacturers are rare. Glencore, the world's biggest producer of cobalt, has other long-term contracts with non-U.S. companies in the middle of the battery supply chain, including Belgium's Yumicor, South Korea's Samsung, and China's GEM. Some U.S. companies, including Apple, source cobalt products from these suppliers, according to reports. Glencore halted royalties to Gertler in response to the sanctions, but resumed paying in euros in mid-2018 to resolve a lawsuit filed by the businessman. On the day Glencore announced its decision, the U.S. designated an additional 14 companies controlled by Gertler, including Ventura. At the time, Glencore said it had discussed the matter with U.S. and Swiss authorities, but declined to confirm whether Treasury approved the decision. Meeting contractual obligations to Gertler was the company's only viable option to avoid the material risk of seizure of its mines, the company said two years ago. Less than three weeks after Glencore started paying royalties to Gertler, the U.S. Justice Department subpoenaed the company to produce documents relating to possible corruption in Congo, Nigeria, and Venezuela. Glenko has said the Swiss probe concerns the company's alleged failure to have the organizational measures in place to prevent alleged corruption in Congo, and that is cooperating with authorities in all three countries. It is unclear to what extent the investigations may focus on Glenko's relationship with Gertler. Kirtler's rights to royalties from two copper and cobalt mines in Congo are his only known remaining financial ties to the world's biggest commodity trader. After a decade in joint venture partners, Glencore bought out Gertler's minority stakes in both projects in early 2017. Of Glencore's Congolese assets, only one, Komoto Copper, is currently operating. On track to become the world's largest cobalt mine, it will be the source of most of the metal Tesla buys, or at least until Glencore's second site reopens. While Gertler's ownership of the Komoto royalties was known, uh, was known how much he paid for them hasn't previously been reported. Gertler obtained the rights to two 2.5% of Komoto's net sales in May 2013 exchange for a $150 million reduction in debt owed to one of his companies by Gekka Mines. 
Gertler's lawyers wrote in a letter to Bloomberg in February in response to questions about the deal. Kekemai decided not to exercise an option to buy half the rights, to buy back the rights, and instructed Komoto to sign the royalties permanently to Gertler. Soon after the royalties were transferred, Komoto advanced $54 million to Gertler's company and then shut the mine for two years to upgrade equipment. The advances were offset by the end of last year, and Komoto was supposed to resume royalty payments to Gertler early this year. Gertler also benefited from the settlement two years ago of a dispute between Glencore and Gekka Mines that arose off the state miner threatened to dissolve Komoto over its debt levels. As well as Glencore writing off billions of dollars of loans, Komoto waived rights to compensation for deposits that had ceded to Gekka Mines by holding back royalties and dividends starting in 2019. Since the royalties have been transferred to Gertler, he stands to earn them uninterrupted until Komoto is depleted. Gertler could reap far more than he paid for the rights. In the lawsuit he initiated in 2018, after Glencore paused the flow of royalties, Gertler said they were worth $2.3 billion, about 15 times what he agreed to buy them for. Glencore's goal is for Komoto to produce an average of 300,000 tons of copper and 30,000 tons of cobalt each year from 2022 until the end of the mine's life. I wonder how long that's going to be. Expected to run for 20 years. Well, there you go. Uh, Last year, Komoto generated $1.39 billion in revenue on output of more than 230,000 tons of copper and 17,000 tons of cobalt. At the average price of the past year, it would cost Tesla about $191 million to buy 6,000 tons of cobalt, putting Gertler's annual royalties from the contract at between five, four and $5 million. Hmm. Well, and that's Elon Musk for you. That South African boy who is not making uh, that much good. And it gets worse, I'm afraid. Yes, Elon Musk is turning out to be a typical white South African. He has now confessed to being behind the, the coup in Bolivia last year. Evo Morales was, was overthrown, uh, turning the country over to a hand of uh, Christian right-wingers uh, who believe uh, that the peasants of the country are only in the way. Very much uh, a white South African finding a, 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 um, a, a sympathetic um, audience, I suppose, the right wing in Bolivia. Well, let's find out what old Elon Musk has to say after being outed as a coup leader. The billionaire chief executive, according to uh, Telesur via informationclearinghouse.info, the billionaire chief executive of Tesla and lithium exploiting capitalists has admitted his role in last year's November coup. The chief executive of Tesla has admitted to involvement in what President Morales has referred to as a lithium coup. We will coup whoever we want. Deal with it. Ah, well, there's an old white South African way of putting your opinion across. That was Elon Musk's response to an accusation on Twitter that the U.S. government organized a coup against the president, Evo Morales, so that Musk could obtain Bolivia's lithium. How did he respond? He said, we will coup whoever we want. Deal with it. Foreign plunder of Bolivia's lithium in a country with the world's largest known reserves is widely believed to be among the main motors behind the November coup. Lithium is a critical component of the batteries used in Tesla vehicles and is said to become one of the world's most important natural resources as manufacturers seek to obtain it for use in batteries for electric cars, computers and industrial equipment. 
Uh, Elon Musk uh, um, tweeted um, quite recently, he said, another government stimulus package is not in the best interest of the people, in my honest opinion. Then uh, someone responded to it and said, you know what wasn't in the best interest of the people? The U.S. government organizing a coup against Evo Morales in Bolivia so you could obtain the lithium there. That's what prompted uh, Musk's response. We will coup who we like. Deal with it. The de facto administration of Janine Añez has already announced its plan to invite numerous multinationals into the Salar Air Uni, the vast salt flats in Potosi, which holds the precious soft metal. Right-wing vice presidential candidate and running mate Añez, Samuel Doria Medina, Medina, not about that, his name is Medina, as you show you, the Andalusian uh, uh, Islamic influence. Doria Medina proposed a Brazilian-Bolivian project which would use lithium from the town of Uyuni. Meanwhile, a letter from the coup regime's foreign minister, Corin Longaric, to Elon Musk, dated March 31, says, any cooperation that you or your company can provide to our country will be gratefully welcomed. Social movements have repeatedly warned that lithium and natural resources will be surrendered to foreign capital by coup authorities in a reversal of plans by Eva Morales' movement towards socialism administration to process the lithium within Bolivia rather than exporting the raw material to the global north. The project represented a rejection of the neo-colonial relationship Latin American companies, countries often had with imperial cause. Bolivia's former government oversaw the production of batteries in its first electric car, in partnership with German company Akisa. In a deal, the Bolivian state kept majority control. That's all going to change now. All in favor of getting the bribes from the foreign companies. That's what the right wing is good for, bribes. Well, uh, yes, I've been flagged down there. We've uh, reached uh, the top of the half hour for the show. Got to go for a quick commercial break. You are listening to Marikaz Sahaba, the voice of Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. You're tuned in to Business Report with me, host Alameen Templeton, on the foremost Islamic channel in the world, Marka Sahaba Online Radio. Well, you know, uh, during the break there, I was caught in my eye over this whole Elon Musk thing and um, the coup, the November coup in Bolivia last year, where Evo Morales was overthrown and the right wing government came in. Uh, a complete 180 degree turn in government now the peasant forces Evo Morales himself was uh, indigenous uh, in Indian it's a really strange thing to call these people Indians after all of these centuries they're still calling them Indians and why people think they're clever anyway right okay so Evo Morales he was uh, truly a man of the people chucked out by supposedly democratic America and uh, and now you've got a right-wing government in power this right-wing government does exactly what the ANC does to itself you know the right-wing government does does to all of the left-wing uh, policies what the ANC does to itself every time there's an election and the ANC gets a new leader huh? you know just get rid of all of those crazy pet little projects Listen to this. Um, with uh, the, the, the car construction agreement that uh, Bolivia put together with uh, German company Akisa, now scrapped, uh, 
along with countless other state projects and with elections now thrice delayed by the illegitimate, illegitimate de facto authorities, the people of a union social movements around the country say they'll continue to oppose the ongoing privatization and organizing against the return of looting of Bolivia's natural resources by ruthless and exploitative foreign capital. Sounds as though Bolivia is starting to, looking, to, start to look a lot like a, a future South Africa. Well, that's Elon Musk for you. White South African, he didn't make that good. He just made a lot of money and turned out to be a skunk like, uh, like many of the, many of the apartheid uh, champions who came from uh, the city of Pretoria, as does Elon Musk. Well, I guess maybe we're lucky that he left the country. Imagine if he was here in the country, he'd be told, well, anyway, he's not here, so there you go. Um, yeah, in South Africa, um, uh, we continue to suffer from um, uh, ESCOM. Well, you know, ESCOM has, you know, done us all a favor and kept the lights on largely during winter and during lockdown. But one wonders, well, now, okay, I'll tell you what. Let's go and have a look at uh, the, um, the, the the infrastructure projects uh, put together under um, Sir Ramaphosa. Um, launched with much fanfare yesterday, and it turned out that it was a lot of cold soup. Um, because uh, most of the projects have been, you know, tarted before. You know, they're, they're kicking the can down the road. You, 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 recognize, you start to recognize the can after a while. And that's what yesterday's package of infrastructure projects looked like, a battered old can. Um, the, the government unveiled 50 strategic infrastructure projects, which is now calling them SIPs. And while special projects involving a total investment of six, 360 billion rands as a first tranche of a massive infrastructure expenditure program to drive the post-COVID-19 economic recovery effort. Now, just consider we've thrown 450 billion rand at ESCOM in the last like decade. And it's like basically trickled down to the floor and disappeared. 200 billion of that went into corruption alone. Now we've got a whole lot of money from the IMF. We've got a whole lot of projects that we're going to be spending money on. You know, all I can hear in the back of my head is ESCOM, 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 ESCOM. They're all going to turn into ESCOMs. And why is that? There's no sincerity. That's all, that's all you can say. There's no sincerity in this. There's no sincerity in it. No sincerity to see uh, the project through from conceptualization all the way through to execution and delivery. There's no commitment to that. The people who are green and, and dreaming up the projects are doing so that they can grab signature fees. You pay the, the, the company that is given the tender pays the person who signs the tender a signature fee. Now, according to the French, this is all perfectly acceptable. It's part of international business practices, as we have in Paris. So it must be the most advanced in the world. You know, paying bribes. Like, oh, really, that's part of modern business still. 
Well, it's part of modern European business, that's for sure, because they pay bribes everywhere. Same as America. I wonder if Evo Morales took a bribe. Hmm? Do you think Elon Musk called him up and promised him a new a new Tesla? Because he did. He, he, he really uh, left the country without a whimper. He didn't stay and fall on his sword or anything like that. You know, he was out of the country straight away. Not that uh, they, there was very good reason for him leaving. I mean, his life was in peril. His home had come under attack that, the night of the coup. Uh, but sure, well, Eva Morales folded like a pack of cards. Well, they say the main difference between Eva Morales and um, uh, Maduro in Venezuela is that Maduro has uh, the confidence of his armed forces behind him. Uh, and that was something uh, that uh, Evo Morales uh, failed to focus on. And as a result, it was easy for someone to come in. Maybe that someone was Elon Musk and buy his army. Much like um, um, uh, Princess Di's brother, uh, that Spencer chap, who was here in South Africa. You know, he was paying the police to uh, provide uh, VIP protection to his house. He didn't see anything odd in that. He thought it was perfectly acceptable. I was quite surprised when South Africans actually reacted with outrage to that. Although that did also happen at the same time as the Wonga Wonga coup in uh, in uh, Guinea. They tried to put a coup together in Guinea. Uh, Jack Straw, the foreign minister of Britain, said at the time that they'd known about the coup beforehand. They'd been informed about it. The British government did, they didn't do anything to stop it. So... You know, you must know who you're dealing with. You must know who you're dealing with. Anyway, so now we've got 50 strategic infrastructure projects that have been uh, unveiled again, and 12 special projects that have been unveiled again for 360 billion rands. These initial projects are expected to create an estimated 275,700 jobs in six sectors, water and sanitation, energy, transport, digital infrastructure, agriculture and agro-processing, and human settlements. Dr. Josiento Ramachopa, head of the Investment and Infrastructure Office in the Presidency, said on Monday, these are projects that are shovel-ready. Yeah, boy, (laughs) shovel-ready projects. Remember... Oh, they, they 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 love these terms. It makes them sound like uh, you know, makes them sound like businessmen and leaders. Shovel ready projects, yeah, 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 yeah. We heard of these shovel ready projects. They were so, shovel ready projects last year. That means that uh, you know the guy is standing there with his foot on the on 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 the spade, ready to press it into the earth. That guy, you know, with that spade. He's taken a long time to press it into the earth. Hmm? He's had over a year to press his spade into the earth, and he still hasn't done so. So, yeah, so excuse me while I disguise a yawn at these supposedly shovel-ready projects. Ramachopa said funding for from the debt capital markets accounts for 340 billion rand of the total investment in these projects, and they don't draw money from the fiscus. Not that that means anything. It doesn't mean anything. Uh, these are projects that are commercially viable through the SIPS methodology. Some of them will require a bit of unlocking. It's, it's about non-financial instruments, such as guarantees, increasing borrowing limits, and where we have to invest in bulk infrastructure. It is allocations that already sit in the fiscus. We are just going to draw them early so that we are able to open this economy going forward. 
Ramahopas said the 340 billion rand investment came from multilateral development banks, commercial banks, and development state institutions that have made commitments to specific projects. To unlock the investments, Ramahopas said the government, for instance, has to increase the borrowing limits of the Trans-Caledon Tunnel Authority and provide sovereign guarantees to the South African National Road Agency. Great, so they're going to be bringing uh, the the highway um, tolls. They're trying to resuscitate the tolls. We're supposed to celebrate this, to tell you about a party that's out of touch with its country. The bulk infrastructure investments for human settlement projects that will be drawn from the fiscus amount, about 1.7 billion rand or so, which is a fraction of the total of about 138 billion rand of the private sector project investment. But we are able to show uh, what comes to the municipalities in form of rates and taxes as a result of that. So we're able to show the commercial case, he said. He added that all the student accommodation projects are private sector funded but need offtake guarantees from the National Student Financial Aid Scheme, which the government is facilitating. Implementation of the projects is to be prioritized. Minister of Public Works and Infrastructure Patricia DeLille said the projects have been gazetted in terms of the Infrastructure Development Act, which enables their development and implementation to be prioritized. DeLille provided a breakdown of the projects in the six sectors, saying that collectively the water and sanitation projects are worth 106 billion rand in investment, spanning all provinces with the potential to create an estimated 25,000 direct jobs. For how long? For three months. You know, it sounds as though like people are going to have jobs for life. But, you know, you dig ditches, you put in pipes, and then you go home. Three months later, you don't have a job anymore. This is... Um, This is uh, the ANC's idea of job security. Three projects in the energy sector involve a total investment of 58 billion rands, with the potential for direct job creation at 6,000 jobs. Fifteen projects in the transport sector, uh, costing 47 billion rand, have the potential to create 50,000 jobs. Human settlement sector projects involving investment of 138 billion rand can create 190,000 direct jobs. And the digital sector has a single project with 4 billion rands to create 700 direct jobs. Two agriculture and agro-processing sector projects worth 7 billion rand can create 4,000 jobs. DeLille added that the 12 special projects also have a specific aim to create much-needed jobs and assist in skills development because many of the most vulnerable communities in South Africa have been hardest hit by COVID-19. The Rural Bridges uh, What is Seasware program will connect rural communities to the social amenities they need to access, while the Rural Roads Upgrade program and Comprehensive Urban Management program will also greatly improve the living conditions of the poorest communities. Ramakhoba said uh, another special project involves the digitization of government information. He said it is looking at employing about 10,000 young people in the immediate future to help digitize uh, the information across the country. If you visit a hospital today, your file is kept on those old brown files, he says. If you go to a police station, the docket is still in brown files. If you go to court, that's the same. Going into the future, we're going to be introducing... Oh, yeah. Here we go again. This is a bit like the the fingerprint um, technology that was supposed to be used. Uh, We're still waiting for that to become fully functional. Uh, Lomachova stressed that the project gazetted are just the first generation of projects and there's going to be another wave. He said he had received about 276 projects and continues to evaluate them.
Dillon said uh, the construction industry is the most corrupt industry in the country. But that's a lie. The construction company, construction industry is not the most corrupt industry in the country. The political industry is the most corrupt industry in the country. Uh, Delil says, our country is littered with projects where the contractors have left with the money, but the projects are not there. Like I say, lack of sincerity. It's a, it's a bit like here in, uh, in Lanasia. Tembalitle. Now the ANC MEC for housing, who uh, founded Tembelitle. Uh, then took all of the money that was meant to go for developing Tembelitle and built himself a nice house. He's now facing criminal charges. Uh, the construction companies that came along to uh, uh, install solar power panels and uh, cables leading from uh, the solar power towers uh, to the various shacks, to power boxes in the shacks, well, they built the towers, but they didn't, and they installed the power boxes, but then they didn't provide the cables to connect the two. Now, more than three years have passed, and the solar powers have been pulled to bits and vandalized. Well, you know, it's in the middle of a squatter settlement. What are you going to expect is going to happen? Yeah? These things are standing there uselessly. So now they've been vandalized. And Timberleafle is not very happy. In fact, they're far angrier than they were before the ANC came along and said that they were going to help us. And now Lanasia uh, sits with this um, problem festering on its border. You know, we did everything we could to fix the problem, and then the ANC stole the money. So where is the sincerity there? You know, that's a simple little project. You expect Silurum Apollo, who couldn't turn around South African Airways, who couldn't turn around ESCOM, he's going to turn around the whole country. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. Um, according to Delil, she's warning people now, listen to this. This is an ANC politician speaking. Our country is littered with projects where the contractors have left with the money, but the projects are not there. Under the ANC's watch, you should say. So I'm warning all those corrupt ones in the sector, still under the ANC watch, that this same ANC watch is going to make sure we reduce corruption in the construction industry. I can hear people laughing and laughing and laughing and laughing. Master Builders South Africa's Executive Director Roy Manitsi welcomed the gazetting of the project, saying it will go a long way in terms of assisting our aiding industry. Amnesi said uh, MBSA members are worried about the implementation of projects, worried whether the money is actually going to be there when the, when the day dawns. Because in the past, they got excited by government announcements and only re later realized not all the projects were implemented. In fact, very few of the projects were implemented by the amount of projects that we've seen before coming up now in this list. However, he said that the builders were very positive about the announcement because these projects are not fully dependent on funds coming directly from the fiscus. Lazar African Forum of Civil Engineering Contractors Chief Executive Webster Faber said the projects are good news for the construction sector after significant loss of jobs and negative growth in the industry. It's going to be a boost for industry, provided these projects get to implementation stage, which has been a perennial problem with infrastructure delivery in South Africa, together with a failure to maintain existing infrastructure. Mfeber said the projects are mostly public sector projects, and his expectation is that more projects will have to come from the private sector through the platform of the Public-Private Growth Initiative.
The only involvement of the private sector that I see in these government projects is the funding institutions, he says. That kind of participation is also welcome without any doubt, but what about pure private sector initiated projects where the major stumbling block is permitting and licensing issues that need to be sorted out? It is that which is missing. Government has a triple role to play that of a regulator, an enabler, and a facilitator, not only in relation to its own public sector-initiated projects, because of government's role to create an environment within which the private sector can participate in the economy and create jobs. But it all sounds very nice, but then it all did sound very nice last year when they said the same things. And as, uh, as they say, yes, well, you know, when it comes to implementation, you know, is this just another can being kicked down the road? Is the government's, are the ANC politicians going to allow some of the money to actually get into other people's hands this time? Well, that remains to be seen. That remains to be seen. Um... Well, we're coming up to the top of the hour. Um, we've got, oops, uh, sorry about that. Um, well, now, fixing the ESCOM is going to be a lengthy process, and we'll have to go beyond collecting overdue debt and disconnecting customers. Yes, are we actually going to get a real ESCOM? Andre Dereta, according to Bloomberg, the chief executive officer of South Africa's debt-stricken state power utility is navigating a political minefield as he collects overdue debt, reduces electricity theft, and bolsters revenue. ESCOM this month sees the bank accounts of its biggest defaulter, the Malutia Pofong municipality that owes a 5.3 billion rands, and scale back supplies to areas where many residents have illegal connections to the grid. It previously clashed with the country's energy regulator over tariff increases and suspended contracts with coal and renewable energy vendors after electricity demand plummeted amid a coronavirus lockdown. The utility supplies about 95% of the power used in South Africa and isn't generating enough cash to cover its operating expenses and interest payments. Efforts to reorganize the loans, more than 450 billion rands worth of loans, and that's an old number that Bloomberg is using because of 450 billion rand at the beginning of last year. Subsequent to that, uh, ESCOM has been given um, many, many more loans. So I would say that the debt is probably around about 500 billion rands. Efforts to reorganize the loans and split the company into three units to make it more manageable have made slow progress, exacerbating the need to shore up its income. Courtney Raymond Parsons, the former head of the um, Small Business Development, no, 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 the Chambers of Commerce in South Africa, inevitably, he says, tough decisions have now to be taken to implement debt recovery and to send a message to errant municipalities that must now get the financial house in order. He says this will not be popular and there may be political fallout. There absolutely, definitely is going to be. Uh, we must assume that the rate has the necessary backing to be doing what he is. Local authorities, most of which are controlled by the ruling ANC, have been dogged by mismanagement, lack of funds. They owe ESCOM 30.9 billion rand as at the end of June. The party hasn't commented on ESCOM's seizure of the municipality's accounts, but President Sul Ramaphosa said payment boycotts are unacceptable. Took a long time for a leader to say that, but then you go, it is Sul Ramaphosa saying it. It says like he's concerned, concerned about corruption. Says that. Payment boycotts are unacceptable. 
Ah, yes. Well, you know, uh, payment boycotts are, are one means whereby people can hold government accountable. Yeah, it's a, it is. It, it is very popular. And, uh, you know, as long as Surah Maposa is going to steal money, I don't see why everyone else is going to sit back and say, well, then we, we're going to pay our taxes, we're going to pay our electricity and all that, so you can take it and spend it on yourself. We'd rather spend it on ourselves. So, basically, that's what's happening here in South Africa. Previous attempts by ESCOM to cut off some township customers who didn't pay their bills have sparked violent street protests. The utility demonstrated it's aware of the sensitivities of taking a hard line at the weekend when it conceded to releasing 19 million rand to Malutia Pofong to enable it to pay salaries and other costs. Courts of mayor's office weren't answered. Probably because it wasn't in. <laughs> ESCOM seizes defaulting customers' assets as a last resort when other legal options have been exhausted and reduces supply to areas where there are illegal connections to protect its infrastructure and avoid explosions, the Rater said. Asked if the company consulted government or sought its permission before embarking on its action, he said ESCOM is an autonomous agency of the government whose mandate is to ensure the reliable supply of electricity. Uh, Public Enterprises Minister Pravin Gordon, who oversees ESCOM and his spokesman Sam Kokeli, didn't immediately respond to requests for comment. Fixing ESCOM will be a lengthy process and will have to go beyond collecting overdue debt and disconnecting customers, according to John Jones Gondo, a credit analyst at Nedbank. He expects there will be more clarity on whether a turnaround is possible when ESCOM is split into generation, distribution and transmission units that separately disclose their revenue and costs. Investors appear increasingly confident that ESCOM will secure sufficient state support to meet its commitments. The premium they demand to hold is 2026 Rand bonds rather than government securities has narrowed 14 basis points since the beginning of January to 104 as of July 27. Well, that means that the bondholders are a bit more confident that there is a plan in place to turn ESCOM around. Ah, make to all that in actual fact they are correct. Oh Allah, oh Allah, oh Allah. Do not let us be ruled by, be ruled by those who have no mercy and have no fear of thee and who are dishonest and corrupt. Oh Allah, bless us with honest leaders. Bless us with good leaders. And remove, if you do not turn the hearts of corrupt leaders, then humiliate them and debase them, O oh Allah. O oh Allah, debase them. Ya Rahman, bless this country. Bless this country, South Africa. We have good people in this country. And I make dua. We're coming up to the end of the show now, I'm afraid. Yes, yes, indeed. We're coming up to the end of the show. Um, it's, not the, it's the penultimate end of the show, I suppose. Uh, after the news, at the top of the hour, we're going to be... I'll be doing a, a Zika session for about uh, 10, 15 minutes. Uh, it's called the Chistia Silsila. Um, and uh, that will continue until 20 past when we'll make our final farewells. <laughs> WhatsApp us on 084-786-3132. Assalamu alaikum. Well, we've come to that part of the program, which for the uh, 10 days of Eid, we are going to close off uh, with a bit of zikr. Now is the best time to make zikr during the day. 
uh, in these hours of Asr as we uh, await uh, the decline of the sun and the start of another new day. Oh Allah Ta'ala have mercy on us all. Uh, this is uh, the Bara Tasbi as practiced by the Chistia Silsila. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. La ilaha Muhammadur Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam La ilaha illallah 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 La ilaha Lie 
in the law, in the Isn't it? 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 Isn't
Ya 
Lerovi, solí lesiným, dajme nevedem. Ale chavíby kajryl, chaví gulími. And with that, dear listeners, Jazakam Allah for joining us. We must bid our farewells, make dua that Allah Ta'ala protect you and your loved ones from the evil of this COVID-19 and grant you increase in the good. And I make dua that whatever trade and activity you get up to today is profitable and above all halal. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. WhatsApp us on 084-786-3132.